0: Well hey church, uh, good morning. I just wanted to take a brief moment to talk about some of the things happening uh, in our country right now before we jump into the sermon. Uh, likely you are aware of uh, the events of this week, the murder of George Floyd, a, uh, a black man in Minneapolis, uh, or recently the death of Ahmad Arbery and his murder in Georgia. Or maybe earlier in the week you saw uh, the incident with a, a white woman in Central Park uh, threatening uh, a black man. And these, these incidents have sort of bubbled up and are just in our, our national conversation right now. And I just want to say that as the church, we need to think about these things together. And really our hearts should be grieved as we see these examples of, of racism of injustice, uh, just the brokenness uh, still here in our nation in 2020. Uh, and, and let me just say, as, as we start to have this conversation, you know, throughout my life and my church experience, I've I've seen the church and Christians speak up and speak out about a variety of cultural issues. In my church experience, I've seen our church uh, speak out about um, issues of sexuality and and marriage. I've seen the church address uh, the issue of abortion and the tragedy of, of unborn human lives being uh, taken away. Uh, so I've seen the church rise up and speak about cultural issues in a really powerful way. But in my experience, often the conversation about racism or injustice is kind of swept aside and has not always been a part of the conversation. Now, I know for some Christians and some churches, this conversation is being had and has been had for, for generations in our country, but for me, in my you know, suburban church upbringing, uh, my predominantly white Christian experience, it, it wasn't always there. But as I've uh, you know, grown up, I've seen, uh, by God's grace, that this topic, the topic of racism, the topic of uh, injustice and righteousness is, is not just a, a progressive uh, agenda, some, some liberal talking point or agenda. It actually is very close to the heart of God, and we find all throughout Scripture God speaking about issues of race and justice and peace in the land. We see it's rooted in, in Scripture. We go back very to the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, seeing that all people are made in the image of God. And therefore, all people, no matter their, their tribe or nation, uh, have dignity and worth and value because they bear God's image. So there, there's simply no place uh, for racism in the church or for a Christian. We also could look to the prophets in the Old Testament and see how they call out oppression and injustice in their communities. Even go and read Isaiah chapter 1. You don't have to do it right now. Don't do it right now. But on your own time this week, go and read Isaiah chapter 1. And you'll see God calling out his people for their injustice. And actually, they're even, he kind of mocks them. They're having all these uh, rituals and worship services and bringing offerings to him and sacrifices and singing. And they're doing all this in worship to God. And he basically says, I don't want any of that right now. What I want is for you to deal with the injustice and the oppression in your land. So, so let's focus on that right now, he says to them. Or we could look to the New Testament and see how, uh, the church is born in Acts chapter 2, and it's a church that is of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's multi-ethnic, multilingual people of all nations coming together as the church. Uh, Jesus invites us into this new multi-ethnic family. We even see, we saw in our study in Galatians, how the church had to figure out how to break down some of those cultural uh, ethnic barriers that existed between Jews and Gentiles. We see that uh, the work of Jesus reconciles us not only to God, but also to one another and creates this new multi-ethnic family. And so friends, this is what we as Christians are supposed to be about. I've seen as these events have unfolded this week, and maybe you've seen it as well, a lot of non-Christian voices speaking up. A lot of uh, non-Christian people address this issue and say to the black community, or to minority communities, you know what? We stand with you. We grieve with you. Brothers and sisters, we are for you. We will speak out against the injustice that we see. And as I've seen that, I thought, wow, if that's what non-Christians are saying, if that's what uh, non-Christians are doing in response, then how much more should we, friends, as the church, as the people of God, speak out? And step out and come alongside our neighbors. We are the people of God who have been called to love our neighbors, to care for those who are hurting and vulnerable. We are people who are to be marked by peace and justice. We are people who are called to weep with those who weep. And so friends, if if you're like me and maybe in your church experience, you found it Maybe difficult to talk about these things, or maybe you've wanted to ignore conversations about race, or maybe you're again uncomfortable by this topic. You're uncomfortable right now as you're watching this. I get. It. I've 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 been there, or maybe you just want to kind of yeah, but this conversation, you know, and just push it away, like yeah, but this or yeah, but that, or let's not really, you know, if that's kind of where you're at. I just I just want to invite you, uh, to to join us as a church in having this conversation to join us in letting this be on your radar. like This is our time, church, to really step up and say, you know what, we're gonna show the love of Jesus to our neighbors. We're gonna speak especially to our brothers and sisters in minority communities, to those in the black community, our black brothers and sisters. You know what, we, we love you. And that means we're gonna start by, by listening well. We want to hear your story and your experience. And rather than just writing it off or trying to move past it quickly, we're, we're going to listen. We're going to lean in. So friends, I invite you, let, let's be a church that takes this issue seriously. Let's listen well. And also, uh, let, let's pray. I want to be a people of prayer about this. And so would you join me in just a moment where we bring uh, this before the Lord? God, we... We know that you are a God of justice, a God of righteousness. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And we look at the brokenness and the racism in our nation and it grieves us. It breaks our hearts. So Lord, we pray for your healing, your peace, your justice to be done in our nation. God, we pray that you would comfort and strengthen our brothers and sisters who are fearful right now, our brothers and sisters who are fearful about their future or about their safety because of the color of their skin. I pray that you would protect them and encourage them. And Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts of compassion as a church, especially if, if this conversation is new for us, uh, this reality is new for us. Would you give us listening ears, soft hearts, empathy, patience, being uh, quick to listen and slow to speak, rather than pushing the conversation away or or belittling uh, the pain of others or judging the tears of others, would you just help us listen well and grieve with those who grieve, weep with those who weep, help us love our neighbors, Lord would you lead us forward, it's in your name we pray Jesus, amen. Hi, good morning church family, today I'm going to be reading from the book of Ruth, Chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. The women said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC and just want to say welcome. So glad that you're tuning in, that you're part of our worship service this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for us one more time uh, as we get ready to jump into God's word. So would you pray with me? Father, we we come to you uh, just asking for your help, Lord. We want to know you. We want to be more like you. We want your word to guide us. So would you, God, speak to us, teach us, and shape us uh, as you, Holy Spirit, use uh, your word to to do your work in us. So we give you this time. Our hands are open. Uh, We are ready to meet with you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, go ahead and open up to Ruth. Chapter 4 with me, and while you're turning there, you should know if you have uh, an iPhone, then you uh, realize probably you can check your photos and go to your Photos app, and you can see how many different types of photos you've taken. For example, it'll tell you, you know, you've taken uh, so many videos, you've taken so many selfies, uh, so many portrait mode pictures, and so on. And I went this week, and I looked at my pictures, and I found that I had six 655 selfies. Okay, now out of, again, thousands of pictures on my phone, 655 selfies. I will let you decide whether that's a lot or a little, but 655 selfies. Now, to be fair, not all of those pictures were just of me, okay? So some of them had Amber with me or the kids or friends, okay? So it wasn't just like 655 pictures of me just like You know, okay, so don't get carried away there. But 655. Now, I also found on my phone that I had 122 pictures that were taken in portrait mode. Now, if you have an iPhone, then you know portrait mode is this cool feature uh, on some of the newer phones that uh, takes a close-up shot. It kind of blurs the background and makes the focus of the picture, whether it's a person or something, really pop the way a professional portrait Would So I had 122 portrait mode pictures. Now, I also realized that of all the different picture types on my phone, there was one type of picture that I had hardly any of. One format that I pretty much never used, and that was the panorama mode. Or your phone will take a panoramic picture, right, which is where uh, you can take a big landscape or a big wide angle and kind of scan your phone across it so that it captures so much more than just one, you know, close-up shot can capture. And I looked on my phone and out of thousands of pictures, 655 selfies, 122 portrait mode pictures, how many panoramic pictures do you think I had on my phone? I had 10, okay, 10, only 10, so few pictures. You should check your phone sometimes, not right now, but check your phone sometimes and see what your numbers look like. Now, I bring this up because I realize this actually could be a telling in terms of how we look at life. We're used to the selfie We're used to the portrait mode, uh, the close-up that that captures a moment, but we're much less uh, familiar or comfortable with looking up and zooming out and taking a panoramic view of a situation. We don't as often uh, zoom out and look at the big picture with perspective in our lives. We can celebrate the moment. The close-up, the selfie, the portrait mode. But we don't always connect it to the bigger story and ask the question, how does this one small event, this one small moment tie in to the bigger picture or the bigger story, what's going on in the world? You know, the Bible can be a lot like that. We read these stories from the perspective often of people who uh, had their perspective limited They couldn't always see what God was up to in the big picture. But thankfully, in Scripture, we also see uh, God, again, sharing with us the big picture, giving us these glimpses from his vantage point that sometimes the characters in the story, in these events, aren't always able to see in the moment. And as we've been working our way through the book of Ruth, most of it has been kind of a a close up snapshot, a ground level look at these historic events. We see things from the perspective of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, these three main characters. From portrait mode, the story is about emptiness. Naomi has been emptied out. There's been loss and tragedy, and we've seen how God has worked in history in these events through the kindness of his people to reverse Naomi's emptiness, to restore her hope and her future. It's a, it's a really beautiful story. There's even a love story involved with Boaz and Ruth, but we have to ask, is that, is that all that's going on here, or is there more to the story In the closing verses of the book of Ruth, we see the the panoramic view of God's work that can't be appreciated from down in the barley fields. We actually see that God is up to much more in this story than we realize. And we're going to see that in the very last verses of the book, verses 16 to 22 of chapter 4. Let's take a look together. Ruth chapter 4, verse 16 to 22, says this. It says, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. So friends, in these closing verses, we see that much more is happening in the book of Ruth than maybe we realized at first. Actually, the book of Ruth is not just about Ruth or Naomi or Boaz. It's about much more than that. Because look at how verse 17 ends. Naomi's new grandson, it says, is named Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then there's this more a detailed genealogy given that ends the same way in verse 22 with Obed, father of Jesse, the father of David. Again, it points us to David. David who? Well, King David. King David from the Old Testament, which if we know the Old Testament would make us go, whoa, wait a second, that's, that's a big deal. So God has been up to something that, that extends beyond the lifetime of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, and we see that actually the events in the book of Ruth are a key link in the story that leads to one of the most famous kings in Israel's history, King David. David and Goliath, David, David who wrote many of the Psalms, David, David a man after God's own heart, David a man who would lead God's people as king and bring tremendous blessing to the people of God and his family line would ultimately lead to the Messiah. Now friends, I'm sure that Ruth and Boaz in the midst of their situation had no idea that this was coming their way, of what would unfold in their family line, that their great-grandchild would become one of the most famous historical figures really of all time. But God's work in our lives is always about more than just our lives. God's work always transcends our present circumstances and is a part of God's work Into the future. Now, it's easy for us to miss this sometimes in our lives. Why? Because we get so caught up in the moment or the tyranny of the urgent, and we're just trying to get by sometimes. We're trying to survive, we're trying to make it through each day. The days are long, and it's easy to get discouraged or exhausted. It's hard to to take a step back and really think about or try and consider the bigger picture and what God might be up to generations before us and generations after us. Sometimes it's all just too much. So we don't really get up on the balcony and take a look down at our lives. Or sometimes we don't think this way because we think that the small events and duties of our lives don't actually matter. Do you ever struggle with that, with this sense of, uh, my life is too ordinary or small or insignificant. You know, do you ever think, like, if I could be like that person or, or do some of these things, well, then my life would have meaning. But as it is now, I don't see it. Because so much of our lives are spent in mundane tasks, routines, cooking breakfast, cleaning the house, changing diapers, going to work, washing the dishes again, going to church, going on vacation, and sometimes the, the mundaneness of it all makes it feel insignificant. But Ruth chapter 4, 17 to 22, shows us that our lives always mean much more than we realize. Because there's a connection that God makes between the ordinary events of our lives and the future and his story and history, that God is weaving history together in such an incredible way that everything we do, including caring for a widowed mother-in-law like Ruth did in chapter one, or going to glean for food in a field like Ruth did in chapter two, or getting married and having a baby like the end of the book of Ruth, is somehow all connected to eternity and God's bigger plan in the world. So everything we do To serve him, whether it's feeding the hungry, caring for those in need, or leading a small group, or visiting a friend in a hospital, or calling someone in their time of need, or even changing diapers, is connected to that larger tapestry that God is weaving. I love this quote. Andy Stanley once said, You know, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise reminds us that God is at work in even sometimes the small overlooked details of our lives. God is a God of providence, a God of surprising kindness who weaves our lives together in the story of history in a much tighter way than we imagine. And so friends, if the book of Ruth is not just about Ruth and Boaz, it extends far beyond them, then that means that your story is not just about you. It's about much more in your life, and your impact will extend far beyond you. You can't possibly know what God will do through you and your daily faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I want to be faithful in the small things and the big things. I want to leave a legacy of loving Jesus, of loving people, that for generations to come will have an impact. We can't always see it, right? Ruth and Boaz weren't aware of how their choices would echo into the future. But they tried to do what was right with each opportunity that was put in front of them. They tried to serve God in each moment. Have you seen the movie Frozen 2? Maybe you remember Anna singing about just doing the next right thing. Okay, I have a three-year-old. We've, we watch, three-year-old daughter, we watch Frozen to a lot, Just doing the next right thing, serving God in each moment. The 19th century pastor, Philip Brooks, said this, character may be manifested in the great moments, but it's made in the small ones. Again, it's in those small moments, the small choices, the small details of our lives that our character is built. And so what might seem like minor or insignificant decisions to do what is right can have far-reaching Implications, okay, faithfulness in the little things can make a big difference. Our choices now will have a, a ripple effect for generations. And so friends, if that's true, that the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi was about more than just Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, which means your story and my story is about more than just us, how do we need to live Differently in light of that? Do we need to make some changes or make some different choices with how we're living now in light of the future? Especially if you're young people, if young people here listening who have a lot of years, a future ahead of you, think how do you want to live? What choices, what commitments, what priorities do you need to make now that will have that ripple effect into the future? It might mean there are some habits, some behaviors that you need to stop. It might mean there are some habits, some commitments that you need to start. The commitment to develop spiritual disciplines of getting to know the Lord and His Word and spending time with Him in prayer and being in community. It means being honest about the sin in your life, confessing it, repenting, seeking the Lord in that way. I mean, investing in your family. I love what Pastor Lee and Pastor Kyle said to us this past Wednesday. If you were with us at our Wednesday night uh, video and discussion, Pastor Lee and Pastor Kyle uh, talked about making choices about what's going to matter to our family, prioritizing our commitments for our family. Because as, as life picks up and sort of goes back to some form of normal, there's going to be so many things vying for our time. And so they encouraged us to say, have that conversation now as a family, hey, what do we want to be about? What do we want to prioritize in our schedule? What do we want to commit to so that we already make that decision now so that the decision isn't made for us just by the forces of life in the months ahead? What do we need to be about? Because the generations of tomorrow are going to be shaped by how we live and our decisions today. So, Ruth and Boaz's decisions uh, rippled for generations beyond just them, these closing verses show us, far beyond their lifetime. I want to zoom in one more time to some of the details of the book and point out something that maybe we we missed. We didn't talk about this a whole lot throughout the book, but many of the decisions and actions of the characters in the story were intertwined with prayer. And we see God answering prayer throughout the book. Take, take a look with me at just a few of these examples in the text. Okay, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Naomi says to her daughter's-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi essentially prays, Ruth, may you find rest in the home of another husband. And that is fulfilled as Ruth finds rest with a husband in the house of Boaz in a secure future. Or we can look at chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Boaz knows about Ruth's loyal love for Naomi, and he says, may the Lord repay you, may he bless you, may you be richly rewarded. And we know, of course, that this is fulfilled as Ruth goes home with food, eventually has a new family, security, and hope for her future. She is richly rewarded. Or chapter 3, verse 10, Boaz again to Ruth at the threshing floor that one uh, famous night Verse 10, he said, The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And Ruth gives this striking proposal of marriage to Boaz, and he realizes you are foregoing your a vision of the future, what could be a life with a young husband, a new family, and instead you're uh, proposing marriage to me to care for Naomi, an incredible act of loyal love. May you be blessed. And that is fulfilled as Ruth is blessed and rewarded richly for her acts of loyal love. We can look again chapter 4, verse 11. The first part of it. The elders and the people say, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, Boaz, your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. It is at the end of the story when Ruth and Boaz get married and all the people, all the witnesses at the city gates say, may Ruth be fertile and have children like Rachel and Leah from the past. And that's fulfilled as Ruth has a child when she previously could not before. Or as verse 11 continues, the people pray that Ruth and her family line would become famous throughout all Israel. And guess what? That was fulfilled. Their family line is famous. We're talking about them still today because they are part of the royal family of King David and beyond. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what's happening here? God is moving. People are acting and they're praying and God responds to the prayers of the people in the book. God works through our prayers. Friends, our prayers may be the catalyst for God's blessing in someone's life. Okay, so yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God does all that he chooses, all that he pleases. And God has chosen to work in the world through the prayers of his people. He has chosen to partner with us in his work in the world. He invites us to pray, and he actually responds to our prayers. So when we face problems, especially loss and overwhelming life circumstances, we should be people of prayer, like we see throughout the book. John Bunyan captures this well when he says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. So friends, I know some of us are facing pretty overwhelming life circumstances right now. Or maybe you know people who are. Let us start with prayer. So what I want to do is just, just leave a brief moment for you, wherever you are, to pray. To pray for someone specifically in your life that is feeling emptied out. To pray for someone who needs Help. We can then watch how God works. Maybe there's someone in your life and you told them, Hey, I'll be praying for you. And then you forgot, kind of like we have a tendency to do sometimes. Maybe that's someone that now you can just take a second to pray for them. And prayer doesn't have to be complicated, it doesn't have to be overly uh, eloquent and with flowing, incredible language. It can be simple and honest before God. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 7, a reminder for us as we approach God in prayer. Remember Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus essentially says, hey, you all, you're evil, you're sinners, and, and even you know how to give good gifts to your children. Like if your child asks you for something, you're, you're going to give it to them. You're going to bless them. You, you want to give good gifts to your children? So if that's true of you, how much more then is that true of God, our good Father? How much more does he want to give good gifts to those who ask? So, Ask. It's not a guarantee that our prayers will be answered in exactly the way that we want. We can humbly bring our hearts before God and watch Him work. So let's just stop. I'm going to give a moment of silence here in the video and pray wherever you are for someone on your heart. friends. So for four weeks here, we've walked through the book of Ruth, and we've seen kind of this, the close-up pictures of the events in Bethlehem as they've unfolded. And today, we've, we've uh, zoomed out a little bit and seen the panoramic view of what God was up to, how Ruth and Boaz's story ultimately led to King David. Now, I don't know if your phone has a super-duper panoramic mode, but that's what we're going to need here in just a second because we're going to zoom even further out and see one more thing before we're done here, that the book of Ruth actually extends beyond just a connection to King David. Okay, turn with me, if you could, in Matthew to chapter 1, the first book of the New Testament, the first words of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of, say it with me, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was, say it with me, Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Okay, does that sound familiar? This is right out of the end of the book of Ruth here, now showing up in Matthew chapter 1. And this this lineage, the genealogy of, of Jesus will continue for several more verses. If you skip down all the way until verse 16 where it ends, and it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Do you see that? It's so special. We see the genealogy of Jesus, and it includes, in verse 5, Boaz and Ruth and Obed, who we read about in the book of Ruth, and it's all connected to Jesus. So the book of Ruth is not just some obscure Old Testament book that's cute and fun with Ruth and Boaz and their love story. Ruth and Boaz and their child, Obed, are named as key members in the family line of Jesus, our Savior. King David was a descendant of Ruth and Boaz, and and Jesus, the Messiah, was a descendant, a son of David. Okay, this is super-duper panoramic mode, Right? We're seeing even more how God is at work in history. God's plan of salvation for the whole world was being preserved, was unfolding in the book of Ruth, which reminds us that God's plan of salvation took place in real time, in real history. The story of Jesus is not just some disconnected message of once upon a time, some fairy tale far away. No, it's actually grounded in history, in real people, in real places, in a real family lineage. This was very important to the Jews, and this should be important to us as well. So it's connected to Jesus, our Savior. And so, friends, we have the selfie The the portrait mode uh, picture of the book of Ruth that we've unpacked. Then we have uh, the panoramic view and we see the bigger picture picture and the connection to King David as verses 17 to 22 show us. Then we have super duper panoramic mode in Matthew chapter 1 that shows us as we zoom out even further how the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi connects not just to David but connects to Jesus, our Savior. Friends, we are not done yet. There's even one more zoom out that we need. Can can we handle that? I don't know. But we need extra, super-duper panoramic view on your phone. Okay, Somebody get Apple on the phone. Tell them we have an idea. We're going to pitch to them extra, super-duper panoramic mode that shows that even our lives today are connected to the book of Ruth. We zoom out even further from the barley fields of Bethlehem to King David, to Jesus, and ultimately out into our lives today when we realize that the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi is our family story. If we're in Christ, we belong to this family through faith. Through faith in Jesus, we're united to Him and we're brought into this new multi ethnic family with people of all nations and all time. Whoever puts their faith in Jesus is united to Him and becomes a part of His family, which means that our lineage too can be traced back to King David, to Obed, to Boaz, to Ruth, and Naomi. This, friends, is our family. History, if we are in Christ. See, friends, Jesus invites us to follow Him. You and me, He invites us to follow Him, to trust in Him, to see His life, death, and resurrection for us. That we are to be reconciled to God by His grace. It's a gift to be received by faith. And then when we trust in Jesus, He not only forgives us of our sins, and delivers us from darkness and death. He gives us a relationship with him and new life and new hearts, but he also brings us in to his family. He brings us into the family of God where we can find what we are so desperately longing for. Each of us, we're looking for identity. We're looking for belonging. We're looking for acceptance. And Jesus says, I want you to find it here. Find it in me, in my love for you. And then see that you are now a part of this new family and that the events of the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, that's our family history. We're connected to this as well. And so friends, if you're here this morning, you've never embraced Jesus and believed the gospel I just encourage you to to simply do that today. The gospel message is simple, that we, uh, though sinful, though broken, uh, worthy of condemnation, separated from God, even though that was our state, Jesus came to bring us forgiveness, that if we would believe in him and his finished work, we would be forgiven of our sins, cleansed, washed, given a new relationship with God, reconciled to him, brought into his family, both now and forever. And all of that can be ours for whoever believes, whoever simply puts their faith in Jesus and responds to him in faith. So I encourage you to let today be that day for you. If you'd like to talk more about that, there should be a way to follow up on the connection card there in the chat box. We'd love to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus, that your heart and your life would be transformed by what he's done for you. He loves you so much. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the book of Ruth. It's been a a fun ride now for uh, five weeks. We've seen your hand at work to bring hope and restore our lives, to give us hope in a future. God, you've shown us that you're at work, even in the details. And as we zoom out, we see how our lives are even connected to the bigger picture, the bigger story that you are telling. And God, we are so grateful that our lives are not just about us, but they're in your hands. They're connected to all that you are doing. So we pray, Jesus, that in light of that, you'd help us be faithful to you. Help us love you. Help us serve others. Help us make decisions and commitments now that will honor you We pray that we would see uh, the blessings of those decisions ripple out into our families, into our communities for, for generations to come. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, that they would see, Jesus, what you've done for them, and they would say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I put my faith in you. You have forgiven me of my sin. I want to say thank you for that. I want to turn from my sin and follow you. You are my Lord and Savior. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, friends. We are gonna sing one closing song and then we'll see you at the after party there. There's a link in the chat box. We'd love to see your face. So glad you've been with us.